0: Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In this episode, I interview Leanne Alfaro in our Williamsburg studio live here in Brooklyn. And we talk about the many different dimensions of representation in media, how it connects to venture capital, and how it really sheds light on our perceived representation of workplaces, whether it be fintech or finance or wealth management, you name it. Leanne is the host and founder and just creator, badass extraordinaire of Moneta Moves. It is a podcast and newsletter focused on covering Latinos making money moves in business. So be sure to check that out. We'll link it in the bio and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Leanne Afaro. Well, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on an episode of Humans of Fintech, live in our Williamsburg studio. So happy to have you here, all the way from Chicago.
1: Thank you, Nicole. It's good to be back in New York, and this is such a cozy studio, I love it. (laughs) Good, good, well, it's interesting. I don't usually have people
0: on my show who I have so much shared experience with, really directly when it comes to the journalism side and media and representation, and that's really what we're gonna get into in this conversation and how it impacts our perceived picture of what our industries look at, whether it's FinTech or finance, mm-hmm. you know, wealth management. But before we de- get into all of that, I do want to first get into your background. Please do connect the dots for me. How did you go from journalism to you know NASDAQ to Google to, Building Moneta Moves, how does it all connect?
1: So I am, as you said, originally from Chicago. And it just so happens my dad named me after a journalist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I first even became interested or knew what journalism was. Um, my parents are immigrants uh, from Mexico. And I grew up in a working class neighborhood. And growing up around me, I saw a lot of a lot of business people is the way I see it. It was a lot of small business owners, a lot of people who came here to achieve the the American dream. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure you can relate to this in, in your own community as well. But it was interesting then crossing into journalism, a space where you don't see people of color, or Latinos represented across the board. So before mm-hmm. even doing business news, I covered a little bit of entertainment I ended up writing Chicago Tribune through like some youth paper when I was younger and then covered government when I was out in university uh, and in college. And then after, I was like, well, I really want to go to the number one market to test out my chops, see if I'm any good. So I came Mm -hmm. to New York um, and I really fell into business news. I landed at Business Insider, (laughs) which was a great place to be at the time. And and media here in in New York is honestly like the wild, wild west. That's how I could describe it best. And it's like kind of a fun time, but also like very sometimes anxiety inducing. But just like... Exciting overall because you get to see things in a really raw way, in a really peeled back way. Um, and despite all of the amazing opportunities that I had while at Business Insider CNBC, I noticed that there were people of color and Latinos missing from the headlines. Mm. And I was like, why is that? You know, I come from a neighborhood where I saw this around me and here in the headlines all I see is like white men leading the headlines and it's the same white men on repeat too so that's a little confusing. Yeah this is in my experience as well even in my my past roles. Yeah.
0: And going back to the what you said about like coming to New York I will say there is nothing like regardless of where you land your first journalism job in New York there's nothing like I remember getting my offer letter and like running outside of my bedroom and I was living with my parents after grad school at the time uh, in Texas. And I was like, mom, dad, I got the job. Like, I'm moving to New York. And then it's it's a thing. It's a thing. (laughs) It's a whole thing. And and you're like, I'm going to be a journalist in New York. And it's like, literally, you're like fulfilling this dream, like that little girls have like million girls would kill for this job type of thing. Wait, I'm curious. Did your parents like get it? Do they know Uh, what you did at the time? (laughs) Yes. Actually, yes. My parents understood what I did before, like being a reporter Mm -hmm. in finance markets and different trade publications more than what I do now now they my dad gets it but my dad works in finance got it got it my mom's still kind of like
1: what is this that thing that you do right right exactly I feel like that's the the reaction I got from my parents like Mm -hmm. my entire life but I was just like just just wait wait until I'm on Telemundo which I was last month yeah so finally they were like oh my god we get it Gloria Stefan was there and I'm like (laughs) sure. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) But, but, but so, so I, I land in business journalism. I see the lack of Latino representation. I'm like, wait, hold up. This doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. I grew up with a ton of Latino business owners, entrepreneurs. My dad ended up quitting a carpentry job. It was like a union to build his own. Uh, now he has a remodeling home remodeling business. And I was just like, OK, we can we can do better here. We can do better. And so I started pitching more of these stories. And I was like, it's not a beat to report about Latinos at the time. This is back in 2015. I'm like, I'm going to make it my job. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I'm going to do. So I started pitching NBC, CNBC, got a few stories, but a lot of them were turned down. Like the acceptance rate was like pretty low. So I was like, I think I'm just going to build something. I need to put this energy and all this research somewhere. So I started a newsletter. It's called Moneda Moves. I just shared it with my journalist friends. I was just like, this is just like my passion project, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I didn't think much of it. I just kept doing it two times a month basis. Newsletters weren't a thing back then. And the podcast didn't really start until the pandemic, but I just stayed consistent And it started getting noticed, especially by the Latino community, who was just like, we don't see ourselves represented. This is so important for us from like a very like representation Mm -hmm. perspective. But when I was at NASDAQ, I think the conversation also became, wow, the Latinos are like, it's a big base. And we actually do bring a lot of perhaps not like Latino companies domestically, but we bring a lot of companies from Latin America. So even Mm -hmm. when you're looking at a global level. So NASDAQ, I was brought on there to grow their media studio. I had experience in social media strategy. That's what originally got me into Business Insider. I just reported on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had experience reporting. And they were just like, we need somebody who understands and can build a media studio. So at NASDAQ, what I was focused on was developing media offerings in-house for newly ipo companies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. founders. And so that, that was a, an experience I look very fondly on. Um, but it, nice. at, on the side, I continue to build moneda turned it into a podcast, and then we have what we have today. Yeah. Wow. How old is Moneta Moves? The podcast I started during the pandemic, it's shy of two years old. Mm -hmm. And so we interview a lot of first-time builders who are Latino, a lot of people who I consider are ecosystem leaders who are Latino, who are shaping the future of finance as we know it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then the newsletter I started in 2015.
0: Wow, <laughs> yeah, and the fact that you've kept it up this whole way through is There's one depth. You know, I like mean, as yeah, a, but, but I'm trying to stay as there is yeah. with content creation. Yeah. But that's, but it is really impressive. Any type of continuum that you can create when you start something from scratch and you build it yourself is is really, really impressive and amazing. And so, I guess during your time, like for me, the big factor that really hit me and made me go oh i need to launch what the fintech was not only are you know newsrooms today still largely white and male dominated mm-hmm. because i what's the the data on that from like pew center is like 77% male and 61% white mm-hmm. uh our newsrooms today but it was a combination of that and then the industries that i'm reporting on right yep and same same with you i just was like, really we're going to use that white guy as a source again? Like that's who we're right. going to put on the cover of a news of our magazine again to win like another award to win the executive of the year. And it just I just didn't really get why we didn't care to look outside and I kind of was getting tired of like pitching the idea of you know, hey, well this this story matters or like this woman or this person of color is building something new and and interesting and we can be the person, like the publication that puts them on the map. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I would run into either, one, like no, because they're not big enough, and it's like, okay. Two, it would be, okay cool, Like if you wanna write diversity, equity, and inclusion, Nicole, you can be a diversity, equity, and inclusion reporter, not a finance or fintech reporter. Mm. And it was like, okay. So you're telling me like when a person of color or a woman does something, that means it's only reserved as a sidebar conversation for the women's section of the publication or the, the diversity section of the publication and not front page news. And that was like when I was like, OK, I got to.
1: Yeah. I remember you framing it that way when we had yeah. a conversation on my. On yeah, my on Canada your podcast. Moves. Yeah, we're check doing that out. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I like that framing because you're totally right. For us to like put like di- diverse people, which, like, what is it even diverse people? It's just like, if you look at the US, the definition of the US, it's like a. We were taught growing up like it's a melting pot. It's like mm-hmm. a, made by immigrants. So it's like, why are we separating into a bucket all of these people who are people of color or traditionally underrepresented? It should just be part of the news, which I totally agree mm-hmm. with. But I did experience some of the same stuff as you. And in, in my experience, I really credited it to two things. Leadership in these newsrooms was mm-hmm. not diverse. Right. And yeah. second of all, though, I, I don't know that we talk about this as much, especially for the Latino cohort. We didn't have some of the numbers with which to talk about mm, mm-hmm. things in the way that you do, like perhaps any other company,
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe some of these white male companies. Right. Right. Um, and within the Latino cohort specifically, which is what I can speak to best. Some of these uh, companies, for example, on Crunchbase, they do underrepresent, represent uh, under report mm-hmm. how much they've raised. Um, And that's due to some like systemic like, oh, concern or worries that they might not get investment or that, you know, an investor might look at this and be like, oh, well, they already have funding and we have one Latino founder. It's it's due to this bias. We already have a Latino founder in our cap table. So like. We're, we're good.
0: Which is a wild thing yeah. to think about because you know that like white guys don't think about this,
1: right? Like, you know that. that- it's, like, it's like being in the ecosystem. You learn yeah. about these nuances. And mm. because of the way that the environment is, it shapes the reporting of the data. But second of all is there's actually been really amazing developments in data in the last few years for the Latino cohort. So we've had the Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Institute mm-hmm. come out with numbers. The Latino Donor Collaborative talk about our GDP. And that's really been able to drive forward the conversation and say, oh wow Latinos are more than consumers we're builders like we build mm-hmm. companies we make jobs and we generate jobs in tech a mm-hmm. lot of people are just like oh Latinos are so removed like they deal with the digital divide which we do mm-hmm. in certain communities and in older communities however we also are generating 20% of of, of new business in in tech and mm-hmm. we don't talk about that as often. Have
0: you seen any change since like starting Moneta moves oh. in 2015? A ton. Oh, I mean,
1: yeah, the, so it's the been data is so the out there. The numbers are out there. So now there's, it's like, almost like a,
0: you have no choice but to yeah.
1: acknowledge. Well, it's just like when the writing is on the wall, mm-hmm. you know, and you're seeing all of this product from this cohort it's like it demands the question why isn't the investment aligning Mm -hmm. why isn't the investment not just from for for founders but the investment in the community aligning you know Mm -hmm. instead of trying to squeeze this cohort for their dollars to buy beauty products movie ticket sales why aren't we investing in them in other ways to to further grow and stimulate our economy not just because Mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do Yes, it is the right thing to do, but exactly it is also a there's literal
0: a business case yeah. for it. You know, businesses with diverse founders have uh, enjoy a uh, what is it, like a thirty percent higher return mm-hmm. on any investment. So that like begs the question of what is the disconnect then between if the data is out there to show that Latinos or, you know, any diverse community, say women, are capable of raising more money or raising more investments, I mean, uh, when they are funded, why are more VCs not funding women or Latinos? You know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a connection there with media and representation.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so I think like the whole thesis statement behind why, why I do what I do is because the stories we tell matter. And I don't think like going into journalism, I realized how mm-hmm. much power what we saw in the news had but now having worked in news agencies and also at a place like Nasdaq where we see companies come in every day they go to their IPO it's one of their biggest like milestone days on mm-hmm. their calendar it's like you really realize how important that perception plays into further capital raising into further investment mm-hmm. like it really translates into something material and i think we've talked about storytelling in the context of representation, how important it is then, but I don't hear us talking as often about how like media and reporting really shapes the reality mm-hmm. because it, it shapes the perception of really powerful people and po- not just in, in finance and business, but in policy, mm-hmm. it shapes like literally the systemic infrastructure that we have in this country. Mm-hmm. So like, yes, we may be a capitalist system, but there's many ways to be a capitalist system. And if we're being informed by certain sources and we're being kind of like not fully informed,? Right. That can really drive the the ways that we invest in our communities.
0: It's exactly right. And well, and it it can drive, you know, when you think about it, okay, so most of the uh, venture capitalists mm-hmm. are largely white men, right? Mm-hmm. So because of that, they lack the ability to actually resonate with the experiences of more diverse founders who say pitch to them, right? And this is where a lot of the biases, whether unconscious or not, come into play. So, okay, if I'm gonna see you know, a woman or a diverse founder pitch their idea, or pitch a problem, and I've never experienced it, then I might not see a reason to fund it. Right. And I think that the missing link there that can maybe help change some of that is also that, that media representation. Well, maybe if you saw more stories told that you could read about, maybe you would understand it a bit better. Yeah. Or, may, or maybe if you also understood that like, you don't just have to understand something, you can have compassion for something to, to invest in it as well. Right. Or compassion for someone's story and the right. realities of what, what they you know feel and experience. So yeah, that's kind of a part of it as well
1: yeah I mean Arlen Hamilton talks about this a mm-hmm. lot right like how mu- how much she's experienced this like kind of confirmation bias from yeah. like from like investors and if they can relate with you they're more like at the end of the day they invest in people mm-hmm. like they're human too it's actually quite emotional in, in, in many ways right like it's like a people thing yes um, the but whole thing is the whole thing it's, a, it's about the people and so I, I think it's super important to absolutely have like the awareness of that bias in order to actually begin to change things at a deeper level but absolutely being able to understand the stories and being able to empathize and being able to say like okay i may not have the cultural background in common with you or the country that we're from but i understand these challenges that you went through Mm -hmm. or i can empathize with Mm -hmm. these challenges that you've gone through in order to get to, to still make this very profitable company or viable company You know, if all of that
0: doesn't sway you, then the fact that, I mean, and there are those numbers, right, that are out now of, gosh, you might know, you probably know better than me. But like how much more revenue could be generated by investing in Latino owned businesses, by investing in these
1: entrepreneurs. Do you know it? And I don't have that number for you, but but it's, it's a big one. But it's like we do represent like the fifth largest economy in Mm -hmm. the world, right? Like we we've been noted as like the top new business generators. And after the pandemic, like they were like the most like among the most resilient, Mm -hmm. like black and brown founders were among the most resilient, despite the fact that they're underfunded. So it's like if we're performing this top of the game, you know, without the funding, imagine what we could do with the funding and Mm -hmm. what that would generate for you. At the end of the day, you're an investor. You're trying to get a return on your investments.
0: It seems like a no-brainer to me, but you know, it, back to like representation. And I will give a nod to one of your your former employees, Nasdaq. Um, I'm partnering with them on this contest to find. We're calling it the next fintech trailblazer. But really, all a fintech company has to do is plug in their information on this uh, Nasdaq Data Link website. You can find it in any of my past newsletters. You could probably find it in a link in this podcast description, and plug in your info. NASDAQ's gonna pick a winner, and they get a exposure on the NASDAQ market site, the, the
1: tower. Uh, the tower, the, the eight-story ta- tower. The oh no, the seven-story. Is it seven-story? The seven-story
0: you tower. You're it's, okay. <laughs> it's okay, you've been away for a minute. The, the seven-story seven story tower, tower is a very
1: glamorous place to be.
0: <laughs> it is, it is. It's, I will say, like, so I got connected with NASDAQ because of De DeSimone, and she's a fan of the show. And this is like eight months ago, I had her uh, on the podcast, she invited me to NASDAQ market site. And so I got to have that experience like, and I mean, you know, you worked there, but like I never experienced anything like that. You know, I uh, not, not only, you know, as a journalist or a former reporter, but really more so as like, so, as a entrepreneur myself, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who created something new and NASDAQ brought me in to talk about it is like pretty cool, right? That Huge. was like a great moment for me. But anyway, so like back to the contest. We want to give that opportunity for the the fintech founders and uh, that are building that are part of my audience, which is largely women in diverse groups, to to have that representation. So, yeah, I'm just really excited about that contest and like to be able to have that be an opportunity. But the tower, also they'll have an episode with me on the show, which is sick, and almost as cool as The Tower. The Tower's, you know, um, but we're also gonna let them kind of have like a photo shoot at the market site and like get a package doing that, and also a they'll get to see like a live close and opening bell and just get to meet like executives and have like an experience of learning what it's like to go from building to IPO, so. yeah.
1: Anyways, being at the Nasdaq in that in that way is yeah. like the, the the premium experience yeah. of like media blitz and like also watch a company IPO on their most important day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to date.
0: Yeah, and when I think, you know, now that I'm thinking back at the moment that I was there, I do think about like how special it made me feel and how special it can make you know, like a woman or Latino or a diverse founder or Latina, right? Like to go into there and be invited and have that experience to see your name like your name and face on the tower, the seven story tower is, well, and it makes a difference, right? Because I do think that, so it's easy, right? To say, uh, especially with what I do, I'm like, all right, women, like females and minority founders and you know, you need to share your story. Like, and Mm -hmm. I'm here to help make you feel comfortable to do that. But that's easier said than done, right? Especially when even my culture being Asian American, I'm like constantly told growing up, you don't rock the boat, you keep your head down, mm-hmm. you respect the
1: man. I'm doing all the opposite of those things now. Yeah, um, it's pre- it, feels, it feels pretty epic to be able to do like the antithesis of that yeah. and then see it like manifested in right, that way. Right,
0: right, right. But how do, we get, how do we get more, right? How do we get more women to, and diverse people, to be as like confident as you and I, you know, mm-hmm. to, to put ourselves out there. I try my best by just giving them a platform to be vulnerable, but yeah. it's hard.
1: I, I will say though, there's another part where it's just like I have spoken to founders um, who, I mean, plenty of founders who maybe don't see comms as a priority, right? Mm. They see it as like a nice to have, but not like a necessary thing. But this is interesting. And I'm giving you a sneak peek into a story I'm writing right now for time about how It is so important to have the storytelling at the top of the company, like Mm. when you're just building the company. So many founders that I've spoken to are just like, oh, you know, when I have the funding for that, like then I'll outsource comms. But no, it's actually super important to have your story put together at the top because that's going to help you unroll all of the Mm. rest. Mm -hmm. Like what is your mission statement exactly? Like who is it that you're targeting with this mission statement? And for this story, I spoke with like two um, black women, actually, Corey Hill, who runs Culture Bank. She's basically doing what I'm doing for Moneda Moves, but for the black community. Mm -hmm. She writes about black business in context, um, or as she phrases it, business for hip hop culture. Sick. Super cool. First, All right, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. Also, first <laughs> black woman to report on the floor of the NYC exchange. Wow. Um, and, and she she mentioned this, but also Chanel Cathy, who's founder of CJC Agency. She works with founders to help them shape their stories. And notably, one of them was a Susu, a fintech company who she started working with when they were just getting started and now is unicorn status. Wow! That storytelling was a big part of it. I mean, they were just featured on um, fast companies, Mm -hmm. like top companies of the year. Mm -hmm. Like all of those are important indicators for investors. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about driving that link between storytelling and all that fundraising. Mm -hmm.
0: And I love that you mentioned that because I do sometimes think there is that disconnect in, right, oh, and yes, you can quietly build, but like, Let's be real. Every company has to be like a content company and especially in fintech right now and it being so center stage in, in culture. And I do want to like demystify some of that even with the, the founders and folks that I work with because for me it's never been about like chasing the clout. Like it's always been about impact and community. Yeah. And I think if we can tell you know our communities whether it be you know Asian Americans or Latinos or or women, or just anyone, or or even, you know, black founders, anyone that has been considered different, if we can tell them that that's what it's about, instead of, like, oh, well, you want, like, the buzz. Like, there's just misconceptions around media. Yeah, I think media is seen as, like, a
1: sparkly thing, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. let's move away from that. Let's move towards, like, this is fundamental storytelling, and this is the fundamental story of your company. Like, Mm -hmm. how epic is that, that you get to, like, engrave something that's going to live the test of time and of course there there might be there's probably going to be tweaks of course things are going to change but that's okay it's important to have your fundamentals up at the top and if we have time I'll give you an example yes. um, so there's there's this company that recently actually won some in investing from LatVC a hundred million dollar fund based out of San Diego focused on Latino founders and she got funding from them she also now has raised 2.7 million dollars for her company Nopalera her name is Sandra Velasquez Nopalera is a luxury nopal cat, prickly cactus based products for for latinas but also for the world mm-hmm. um, and so she really knew her storytelling from the top This is something that she cites consistently as something that helped her invest. Like the fact that people understood that branding, that messaging. And even when you look at it visually, it's like a woman with cactus uh, leaves growing out of her head. (laughs) She's just like, that was all intentional. Like she's just like, and I knew I didn't just want to target Latina. She told me, she's just like, I knew that this was a global company. And I wanted to position um, this Latina skincare fashionable mm-hmm. company as not just for latinas but also for the world and so now that's that that kind of storytelling has landed her with credo beauty with nordstrom and this yeah. incredible amount of funding which we know is like rare at the moment for latina founders mm.
0: well i think what you said is a really important thing for anyone listening to my podcast especially like the the fintech founders that are that are building um, especially early on is that you can really focus on that personal story and, and really catering it to your niche. And then if you start with it at the top, like you said, then it seems like, based on your example, she kind of had this like freedom because she really nailed down that personal story and, and and understood it with her niche that she almost, as the company was growing, she was also able to grow that story, right? To be more global, to be yep. something larger than just the niche. Because once you
1: get your niche, you can like, It's easier, I feel like, to expand. Exactly. You know exactly your area. You know who are the right partners and who Mm -hmm. aren't. That's also super important. Knowing who is not. Cutting through that noise Mm -hmm. and figuring out, like, okay, these are the people I need to collaborate with to get me to that next level.
0: What is your advice, I guess, for when you're working with anyone? Because I get this question often, like, oh, Nicole... Sometimes women or diverse founders just are like they don't necessarily want to come on my show or they like I struggle to have them join my podcasts or Mm. whatever. I don't really tend to struggle with this. I think it's because of who I am and I think it's because they know that I can understand them in some capacity given my dimensions. But what do you say to folks that are maybe struggling to connect with diverse communities if they are struggling to
1: um for for people on the outside, yeah, like, yeah, to yeah, connect with diverse communities, it's not like about the the ethnicity or the race mm-hmm. or like what co- what country they came from. It's about seeking to understand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: like I think a lot, uh, especially as a journalist, when we look at our country, but even sometimes the world too, but I can speak most to our country because that's where I've done reporting, mm-hmm. like we don't talk to each other enough. I think that that's one of this country's like biggest opportunity points. Like if we talk to each other anymore and saw understanding, like take a look at the political ecosystem that we have now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of the issues that we have, people talk at each other. They don't talk with each other. Yeah, And so at the end of the day, we're human. We seek to be understood. A lot of these business issues that we're talking about are actually very human at their core. Love that it's called humans of fintech. <laughs> uh, and so- we need to be better listeners and and, and seek to be curious mm-hmm. and seek to find that common understanding because you will find and you will be surprised and shocked at how much more we have in common than the things that we have different. And I think I that it. you will be able to find so much good business in that. Mm-hmm. Like it won't just feel good. It'll actually be good mm-hmm. because you'll have so much more opportunity. You'll realize that there's all of these markets that you haven't tapped into from a business perspective and leading as a human is what will survive like the feeling of like media is blitz Mm it's what will survive like the heights and the lows of the company mm -hmm. you know like and and, which everybody will experience Mm -hmm. it's
0: what will survive even the economic downturn right exactly Uh, and and that's and it's these moments you know it's these moments and you know i think even thinking like to COVID, where everything you just said is fabulous and where exactly we don't talk to each other and we like lack this like human empathy and connection. Instead, we're too busy just trying to like either distract ourselves with something else or oh my gosh, I have to have I have all this pressure to scale a business. I can't think about diversity or I can't think about this or that and it's like ooh. That seems like you don't understand exactly what's going on here. Yeah, like yeah. the purpose which can be a really, really like tough. So that's why I think like sitting in our seats as journalists, as storytellers, it's like we're not just telling, we're, we're showing, right? We're yeah. showing that that mindset is, is incorrect. We're showing that when we do communicate to each other, look at what can happen. Look at the stories that you can uncover mm-hmm. or that I can or anyone doing the type of work that, that we're doing. So
1: yeah, 100%. Yeah. I yeah. And it's it's here. crazy. I wasn't even planning to plant the whole humans of fintech line. That's it good. just came out. It, it was good. That's good. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I am going to wrap
0: this up by asking you one of the question that I ask all of my guests, which is if we need to be the change that we wish to see in the world, what change do you wish
1: to see and how do you embody it? I wish to see people talking to each other more. I wish to see more like cross-cultural collaboration, I think, and and cross-experience collaboration. Mm -hmm. You know, just because I I focus on Latinos, that doesn't mean I'm talking to Latinos 24-7. I think it's super important to get out of your bubble. Mm -hmm. Getting out of your bubble is how you're going to learn, how you're going to break mindsets, how you're going to be able to get to that next level. And you know what they say is true. It took me a while to realize it because New York does move very fast. If you want to move <laughs> fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go with people. Mm. And going with people who who are different than you is super, super important to that. Mm-hmm. So I definitely actively try to do that with one of the moves. I collaborate with different creators, with different people across industries. And it has been so amazing to find your platform and what it is you're building because you. I think you really are shaping a thesis statement for how we think about d- diversity but like authentically without mm-hmm. it becoming like a word where people are like oh that's not part of our okrs like right. how does that make us money? right yeah like those those can be nipped at the bud when we talk about DI as like the actual like like when you talk about diversity DI is another one of these acronyms yeah. diversity as like something fundamental that we can build on to create mm-hmm. a better world not just better companies
0: mm-hmm.
1: exactly oh well thank you you possibly even described it Better than I ever
0: could have imagined, so thank you. I love when a guest can describe what I do even better than I ever thought it could be. But honestly, it's it's kind of why when it comes to, you know, I could have just built, I know we're wrapping up here. I could have built like a a media brand that was just women-centric, right? That was just focused on, nope, I only cover like diverse perspectives. For me, it is about that organic aspect of it. It's not that I'm just focused on that. It's that, in fact, I, I do interview, I've had you know, white guys on the, my podcast. It's, to me, it's about, from my perspective as a woman of color, what does the industry look like to me? What stories are interesting to me? How do I create a narrative where someone like myself and my audience isn't retrofitting themselves into mm-hmm. the white and male dominant narrative that society has already built out for us?
1: Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Instead it's writing a new narrative right where women and people of color are centered instead and they're centered in their own authentic way i don't want to center you in the white narrative like i don't want you that's why like even with my events i like create mood boards i want you to like i want you to dress how you how you would like not at a conference where you feel like you have to hide yourself. Like, I want you to like do your hair like you would or whatever. Like you want to wear a suit with a bralette. That's what I wear. Like, (laughs) so be yourself. Like be yourself is the the main thing. And I think between all of what we said, like if we can just all like put our stories out there more, be ourselves, be authentic about it. Because honestly, what makes a community a target is when people are silent and don't speak up. You know, Mm -hmm. so the more that we can speak up and do it together, then we actually have a chance at changing this narrative. A hundred percent.
1: I think that's just such an important part of the ecosystem. Like, and I will say, like, if you, if you, for example, created like a Filipina brand, I think mm-hmm. that that's also part of the ecosystem. Right. too. But I think having somebody to talk about it in this way and like welcoming everyone to the room, that's the like also crucial mm-hmm. to like those intersectional and like people stepping yes. out of their bubbles. Right. right? Well,
0: the, the intersectionality. Right. And it, it helps when you're so many different dimensions as well. But anyways, I feel like we will continue this conversation at drinks. drinks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just want to keep going. Anton's like, yo, you gotta end this. Okay, I'm ending this. Leanne, thank you so much for joining. Humans of FinTech it is such a pleasure to have you. Please tell everyone where what you're working on, where they can find Moneta Moose, and all that good stuff.
1: Thank you, Nicole. I'm wrapping up an accelerator at the end of this year, but you can find Moneda Moves. We're revamping, relaunching back in 2023 at Moneda Moves and wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and so forth. Sounds
0: perfect. And in the meantime, you can listen to the episode of Moneda Moves that features me, Nicole Casperson From (laughs) What the (laughs) Anyways, all right. Thank you again. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.